Now, we're doing this um, thing called Encounter for three weeks. We're trying to give uh, a biblical basis ahead of having our Encounter Nights here in the school hall in the evenings, which are coming up, which if you're at the Vision Night, we, one of the things we said is we want this to be a year where we richly encounter the presence of the Lord. And we start to learn how to use spiritual gifts. We seek God's power in our lives and start to get a bit excited and happy about being Christians and enjoying all the things that God has to bless us with. You know, understanding that life is full of ups and downs as well, isn't it? It's a bit of a game of ups and downs, but we want to know the joy of the Lord and the fullness of his power in our lives. So Dan and I decided we'd spend a few weeks just laying a bit of a biblical basis. Last week, Dan spoke about God with us. And um, this week, I'm talking about God in us. And next week, I'm talking about God through us. Do you see how neat this is? I mean, it's cool, isn't it? You'd almost think this is a professional setup. So <laughs> this week, it's God, God in us. Now, uh, to try and give some biblical basis to all this today, I wrote loads of notes in the side of my Bible, and I've just discovered I can't read them. But we're going to be fine. It's going to be all right. Now, um, in the transition of leaving my last job to go and uh, engage in this new ministry with the Message Trust, it's a bit of a thing when that happens, you know, uh, any job change, I think. When you're trying, when you're trying to follow the Lord, you, uh, it's, this might sound a bit weird if you're sitting in and you're not a Christian. I mean, before I was a Christian, I just think, oh, that's a better job with more money. I'll go and do that one. And if everyone got upset with you for leaving, you just thought, life's tough deal with it, just go to the next job. When you're a follower of Jesus, you don't want to cause offence to the Spirit. You want to do what's right. So you're seeking to hear his voice. I mean, I, I for one, I want to know when I make major life changes, I mean, I don't go shopping with Jesus and think, uh, are these nice jeans? You know, do you want me to buy these jeans, Lord? I mean, I know some people do that, but obviously if I probably did do that, I'd be better dressed. But, uh, <laughs> it's a thought, isn't it? But, um, <laughs> But when it comes to major life transitions, I do like to, to seek the Lord, you know, or, you know, just, just general things through life that I, I need to engage the Lord in this. So I was praying earnestly about this, this new job and is this right? And, and the guys at the message started telling me, and this is only about five, six, or maybe eight weeks ago, they said, um, oh, I've had all these prophetic words of thousands of doors opening for the message. And they named three people that I knew, one of whom I worked with in the job where I was at the moment, who'd had pictures, pictures in prayer meetings with the message trust of, all independently, of thousands of doors opening. Now, I didn't share this particularly with Karen. I just absorbed it. It's not the sort of thing that you go home and go, oh, yeah, the message, they said they've got thousands of doors opening. Uh, for the gospel, you know, like they said, no, no doors shut. They said there's thousands of doors opening for the gospel. So, okay, great. Karen, during this time, did one of her wake me up in fear moments. Uh, there's been a few moments in our married life where Karen has woken up either screaming after dreaming about spiders or um, had some interesting uh, other sort of dream. And she did, the f as soon as I, I woke up, Karen was sort of looking at me and she went, I had this dream of this door was flung open. And you said something about your heart being all like, like really impacted her, you know. I so I'm lying there, it's traumatized, because it was a bit full on the way she did. And I thought, I didn't really make the connection at first, but I thought, oh, yeah, it's quite interesting. 
thousands of doors. Wife has a dream of a door opening. It's interesting. Could be a coincidence. Bit of a weird dream to have, isn't it? But I thought, okay. I then went and preached at a church in Birmingham. And I preached my heart out. You know, I'd, I, I, I just got me stuff together for a real barnstorm of a preach. You know, sometimes, if you've ever done a bit of preaching, sometimes you think, that was a sweet one, that. That, that was good. Like the Bible was flopping open as it should do when you're on a proper preach. And I was working the stage and I felt the joy of the Lord with me. And I, I thought I felt like Billy Graham. I was on it. And I, and I did two services back to back. And I preached for this response after the first sermon. Nothing happened. I thought, well, that must be them, not me. Because that was, that was outrageously awesome. Like, I must admit, even to myself. And then I thought, so then the second, always, if I've got to do back-to-back sermons, I always preach better at the second one. So if you ever go to two services, I'm normally better on the second one. So by the second one, I'm in my stride, and I'm all pumped up, and the adrenaline's thrown. I've got, I've got endorphins being released from the last one. I'm still on my adrenaline flow for the next one. I'm much better the second time around. So the second sermon, I was really on it. Mega. Preach my heart out, no response. I thought, oh, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm preaching, people get saved, nothing's happening. I'm an evangelist, nothing's happening. It's big church too. And then this bloke walks up to me who had, who's obviously had special needs. And he walked up to me and he just went, it was like Rain Man. It was a Rain Man moment. He went, not looking at me, he sort of walked up close and looked in the other direction and went, Thousands of open doors, there's thousands of open doors, take the open door. Draw close to Christ, and doors will open. Take the open door. Thousands of open doors. The Lord says there's thousands of open doors. <laughs> and just walks off. And I thought, that is, like, weird and awesome. That was amazing. And amongst all the other things that happened, I thought, the Lord has spoken. What's more amazing is you think, what is, what is actually happening there? Something powerfully supernatural is happening. This man had obvious special needs, learning difficulties. The, the Spirit of the Lord was speaking through him. God was in him and speaking through him. Now, you've heard us tell stories over the last year where we've seen things like that, but when it happens so obviously in front of your face, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm a strident evangelist. I'm a, you know, I seek to follow the Lord with all my heart. You know, I'm passionate about the Lord. I love Jesus. But sometimes when things like that happen, you think, it's true after all. <laughs> you know, this is real. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean by that? I know it might shock you to say that, but because you can like drift along, can't you? And then something like that happens, you think, wow, that's awesome. So as part of preparing for today, I'll just think about that. God in us. I thought, wouldn't that be awesome as we look at God through us? And then we start to have these encounter nights and we get back to studying Matthew. Wouldn't it be amazing if this church became like a little mini army of people who are just walking in the power and presence of the Lord? We're the ones giving out those words, or we're seeing this stuff as like it becomes normative, not freaky. Like that's just normal Christian life. Just seeing God at work through us. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Seeing God at work in us like that. 
all the time. So then I started looking through the scriptures yesterday. I was a little bit of prep time yesterday after um, after the week at work. I was just sitting there and I decided to look up as many verses as I can with my old concordance. Now I'm a bit old school. Some people use their computers, but I've got a proper old massive book concordance. Yeah, you can't beat a book, can you? The way it smells and the way it feels, don't you think? I even like writing my sermons on a notepad again these days. Proper old school. This is we're gonna be an old school church, I mean, just bring back the King James Version. Anyway, <laughs> we love it. So I started looking up all the different verses where where God it says God is in us. Now if you're making notes, I could I'll read them out to you, but there there are loads. So the ones I picked out, two Timothy one fourteen, John fourteen twenty three, where where Jesus said, you know, if you live in him, it makes his dwelling in us. Colossians 1, 21. Or you could, if you, if you want to go to Ephesians, because we'll, let's, let's look at the Ephesians ones. We're going to be looking at Ephesians 4 in a bit. But uh, Ephesians 2, there's, there's a bit of stuff. And then Ephesians 3. So uh, Ephesians 2, I'll just start from verse 19 and get the build up. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. A dwelling in which God lives. I find that quite an intimidatingly awesome truth. Ephesians 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, verse 16, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I might as well keep reading, it's it's brilliant. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And we had a vision night, didn't we? And we, we laid out a bit of a, a big vision for the future. But according to the word of God, he's going to do immeasurably more than that. We will exceed our vision and dreams. But God is in us. And, and you can look at the other verses I read out later. In fact, it's a little good exercise, actually. You could go back in your own little study times and get your Bible and your concordance and look up God in us or do it on Google or whatever it is you do um, and look up those verses. It's very, very clear. So I started to mull on this. I thought, what can I just bring out today? What's, a, what's the Holy Spirit saying to us today? And I felt that the Lord was saying to me, that we need to understand as we move into this year that there are implications 
that come with that knowledge and understanding that God is in us. There are implications. One implication is very positive. And if God is in us, we can do immeasurably more than we dare to dream or imagine. And God's power is there. But there is an implication I like that the reverse could happen. That we might quench, resist, or grieve the spirit that is within us. And my mind started to go down that track as I was praying and thinking about it. I thought, wow, at the start of this year, itchy notes. At the start of this year, wouldn't it be good to just be reminded of the things that obstruct the work of God in our lives and through our lives so that we can deal with them in January and have a good year in front of us. Like have a, You know people that are having this sort of no alcohol January? Well, we've sort of failed on that on the leadership meal last night. But, but wouldn't it be good, I thought, to have a let's root out some of the stuff that's going to obstruct the flow of the Holy Spirit in the life of this church, January, sort of thing. I'll probably come up with a snappy phrase now if I thought about it a bit more. So I came up with three things that I think we need to be aware of, and I'm just going to lay them out in bullet point form. Number one was we can resist the Spirit. The second one was that we can quench the Spirit. And the third and most important one I feel for today is that we can grieve the Spirit. So, for instance, if you have your Bibles with you or on your phone, um, let's look, first of all, at Acts chapter 7. We are going to dance around a little bit today, um, as long as I don't lose my way. So, um, it's hard doing this with one hand, isn't it? Acts chapter 7, verse 51. This is where uh, Stephen has just preached the gospel to the Sanhedrin. And he's laid out the gospel, the sandwich and the religious rulers at the time. And, and, and as he gets to, the, I mean, he really gets on one. And as he gets to the end of his sermon, he says this, You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors didn't persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you've betrayed and murdered him. You've received the law that was given through the angels, but have not obeyed it. So he really lays it on them, and then they stone him. And then if you go, you see another incident like this in Acts. Uh, right at the end of Acts, in Acts 24, where Paul is standing trial before a, a, a ruler called Felix. And, and Paul, uh, basically in chains at this point, uh, has an opportunity to share the gospel in Acts 24. And he does this. He lays the gospel out. And in verse 24 of Acts 24, uh, it says this. And, and, and actually, this episode in Paul's life is a great one to read through. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. 
as Paul talked about righteousness, self-control and judgment to come. I thought, isn't that interesting? He's preaching the gospel to a bloke who don't know Jesus and he speaks about righteousness and judgment to come, but self-control as well. That's an interesting gospel angle. It just speaks into the hedonism of the culture. That's an interesting one, I thought. Anyway, as he talked about this, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now, you may leave. And when I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. And obviously he never got any money. He said, when two years have passed, Felix was succeeded by Paulus Festus because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He left Paul in prison. And you can dig out various other elements of this, but I found that quite fascinating. Felix heard the gospel, heard about judgment, he heard about character, he heard about righteousness, he was familiar with the way. He kept calling for Paul because he wanted a bit of cash out of it, he wanted to get him released. Leaves him in prison for two years, but doesn't turn to Jesus. because He was resisting the Holy Spirit. I just felt from the Lord, I was reminded of my own life at 18. My mates kept telling me about Jesus. They kept telling me and they would tell me and tell me and they were praying for me. And I came to a conclusion that it was true. I came to a conclusion that the gospel was true, but I decided to resist him. I didn't give my life to him. I held back. And I can even remember saying to someone, it's great for you. I actually use the word. It's great for you. I'm really happy for you that you know Jesus and like, you seem to be really cool with that, but it ain't for me. And I remember walking away thinking, I know it's true, but it's not for me because I didn't want to give up various things in my life because I wanted to live my life my way, do my thing. I wanted to travel around the world, make a stack of cash, be a mercenary, take up skydiving, Love the ladies, drink good wine and die. I didn't want to yield. I wanted to do it my way. That's called resisting the Holy Spirit. And of course, when you finally yield and you bend your knee to the Lord, I'm not going to say it's like it's like suddenly you're in a like a utopian existence. But life has been pretty good since. It's been an amazing adventure. And the inner peace is, is surpasses all understanding. That is a fact. I mean, I'm not to say there aren't ups and downs and, you know, I had a tough year at work. It's just a fact. But that, that, that is called resisting the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say to you, if you're sitting here today and, and you might be one of two things, I'd say you just got to deal with it. One thing might be you're hearing the gospel and, and you know it's true deep down and you're resisting it. Don't. It's very uncomfortable. And the last place you want to be in this universe is in a place where God's hands off your life. Don't resist him. Or you might be a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know that the Lord is calling you to immeasurably more than what you are currently doing. But you're resisting his voice. Don't do it. There might be sacrifices involved in following the Lord. It might be really costly. It could be financial. 
it, it could just be practical sacrifices. But if you're hearing his voice and you're resisting him, I'll be honest with you, it's just daft. It's just stupid. If you're hearing his voice, don't, why resist him? He's the creator of the universe. What a stupid thing to do to ignore his voice. Don't do it. That's simple, isn't it? Let's go to point two. <laughs> okay. The next thing you can do, uh, very quickly on this one, and this is just a, a little warning for the church, you can quench the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 19, actually says it. Do not quench the spirit. And the context is, do not treat prophecies with contempt. But test them all, hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. I don't need to dwell on this one, so we're going to move on to grieving the Holy Spirit. But this is just a reminder for us as a church. We are a Bible-believing, what you might call, if you're into the phrases, charismatic church, in that we believe in all the fullness of God's Spirit at work in us and through us today. We've got a lot more to learn about that. We're going to have to try and engage with that. It doesn't mean we're weird. We're not going to see people doing expressive dancing with flags and streamers at the front even though I'm running a ministry with bands in it, I've actually told the national team in the message, we ain't ever having streamers and flags. And they've all voted in favour of that, so that's cool. They can keep looking cool, but we ain't doing streamers. But we do believe in the fullness of God working through us. And not every one of us has come from that background. My warning is this. Let's, let's not quench God's spirit. If we see God at work, Give it the benefit of the doubt. Believe the best. Stay positive about it. You know, if you feel a little bit fearful about stepping out in some way, my advice is go with it. I remember the first time God started to give me spiritual gifts. I was a little bit frightened by it, if I'm honest with you. But the more and more I stepped out, I found the Lord was quite gentle in these things. But we want to create an atmosphere and a culture here that embraces the fullness of the work of God. Let's not be a culture where in the background people are going, oh, I don't think that's, that's the Lord, you know. We don't want to be doing all that because the Lord will just, he'll just remove his presence from us. What we have at the moment is a very precious thing. We just gently, and we notice it, aren't we? The Lord's working gently amongst us. And that's, that is a beautiful thing. So let's not quench the spirit. Let's embrace what God is doing. But the final thing, which I spend a little bit more time on, is grieving the Spirit, which I think is, this is absolutely crucial. And this is in Ephesians 4. Let me read this from, um, it's a bit of a chunk. Let me read this from Ephesians 4, verse 17, because it builds up to it, and it includes everything I want to talk about. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles doing the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. I mean, that, there's a, what verse is it? It says, above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. What proverb is that? Who knows? But it's in the Bible. There's a proverb that says, above all things, guard your heart for it's a wellspring of life. The amount of times the heart is mentioned in the Bible. So important. Don't harden your hearts. Big thing in life is to keep your heart soft. Have a rhino skin and a soft heart. So important. 
having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Whenever you see anything negative written in the Bible, think of the opposite, and that is what we are meant to do. There's a tip. So they've given themselves uh, over to impurity, means we should embrace purity. If they are full of greed, uh, think opposite spirit. If there is greed, and that's seen as a bad thing by the Lord, obviously, that means we should be overflowing in generosity. You see what I mean? You've got to have the counter spirit all the time. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. In other words, there was a beachy that existed before the 22nd of April, 1990, that was a little bit of a nightmare to society and everyone around me. The beachy that existed on 7 p.m. on the 22nd of April, 1990, when I gave my life to Christ, was just a smidgen less of a nightmare. And I've been working on being less and less of a nightmare as we've gone along. Don't ask my wife where I am on the nightmare factor. I'm a work in progress like you lot. So we're all working on it. But in other words, there was a change. Put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self, created to be like God in, a true, righteousness, in true righteousness and holiness. Notice that this is a decision. There isn't some weird spiritual thing that happens when you become a Christian, other than that, of course, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in us and gives us power to live for Christ. But you need to choose as well. There is a choice. You can choose not to be a grumpy, miserable what's-it. It's a choice. You can choose not to be negative. You can choose not to be cynical and moaning and superior or arrogant. You can choose these things. Therefore, let's, let's, let's go to verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put a falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. That's an important principle. All in not grieving the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? You're letting one little chink of the armor, one little, one little entry point in your life, like you get a little bit bitter about something, little tiny smidgen bit of bitterness, and you don't deal with it, will corrupt your heart. Get a little bit ragey or angry about in one area of your life, and it will creep into other areas of your life. It will take over. I see it all the time. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on your new self. Put off falsehood. Don't give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. In other words, in plain English, if you haven't got anything good to say, don't say it. Just don't do it. If, you, if, you, if you're tempted to have a little gossip thing in the corner about someone, shut up. Don't do it. It's so corrupting. It's, it's pernicious. It creeps through the life of a church, you know. If you, just, you find it like whispering in little corners about stuff. Just You've got to kill it. You've got to kill it. I'm not saying we don't do feedback and honest about stuff and dealing with difficult things and 
raising issues, that's different. But let's be open and transparent about it. It's so important. Let's just not whisper things in corners. Don't, don't say it. The Bible is clear. Unless it builds others up, don't have anything to do with it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There it is. With whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. It's all there. And I'll tell you something. Over the last year, I've been tempted so many times to not practice what I preach. Over the last 10 years, when you become a very, very minor Christian figure, which is nothing, it's like being a, a literally known person in a very small, tinsy-wincy pond, but you do get sniped at. People write little blogs about you. Someone puts something on Twitter. Or it can get worse. You can get, you can get badly defamed at times. The amount of times I've wanted to say something incredibly witty and cutting back. The amount of times I would love to have written a letter. I've had occasion twice in this last year where I probably could have successfully sued someone or an organisation. But I do not want to grieve the Lord. That is more important. You've got to get over yourself. You've got to let it go. And give it to the Lord. Only in the last couple of months, there have been occasions that it hit me hard. And I've had to make a conscious choice before the Lord that I'd rather pursue a path of righteousness and peace and bless those who persecute me and love them and pray for God's best in their life rather than give in and fight back and win. But then not sleep at night because I'm full of bitterness. It ain't worth it. Now you get that horrible email, it's fine. Get over it. Someone's unjust to you, it's fine. We were unjust to the Lord in our lives when we ignore him. He still died for you. still forgave you. still loves you. Now each of us here, we turn to our own way at various points this week. Lord still died for you. still loves you. still forgives you. still wants the best for you. still would have died for you. So get over yourself. If anyone had the, had the right to have the hump, it was Jesus who was being nailed to a lump of wood. And he didn't. He forgave us. Loved us. Pray that you're a person of peace, forgiveness and joy. Believe the best and give the benefit of doubt and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And stay sensitive before him. And I think when we do that, we see God's power working through us. That's when we start to see people's lives get changed. You know, you, your heart starts to get purified. You know, you, the Lord can work through you. Because he sees you, someone who's got a grip on your character and your, and your self-discipline. See, the power of the Lord just starts to flow when you have conversations with people. And Joe, I've, during that time of, of uh, real hassle that I had, I think I led about five people to the Lord. It's out of nowhere. 
work situations out on the street. Amazing. I mean, more than I'd normally see. It was almost like a clear battle. You know, the enemy tries to drag you into the darkness, but there's the light shining in front of you. Take the path of light, you know. So get rid of all those things that drag us down, and then we will see God working in us. So I would finish off by saying, develop a counter spirit. Be generous. Don't be complaining. Don't be arrogant or prideful or egotistical. Be humble and meek. You know, enjoy thrashing people to death on Xbox One, but don't gloat about it. Run hard if you're running a marathon. Run to win. But do it, do it because it's good fun. You get a horrible email from someone. First thing you do, pray they're blessed. Pray they're blessed. Someone in the church hacking you off, love them. Bring them a cup of tea. So it's good to see you. They'll eat burning coals of uh, shame on their heads for a start, according to Romans 12, but that's not why you do it. <laughs> you do it because it's right. You get what I'm saying? So have a counter spirit in this church, counter to the culture. Don't think of yourself too highly. and Love the Lord. Be joyful always. Don't fight back. Be meek. And the Lord will bless this church. We'll see it as a place where we can move and act, change people's lives.